This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, I'm Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So according to the AICPA, less than half of CPA firms and professional services firms actually have a succession plan. So what happens when you don't have a succession plan? Do you just plan to be rolled up by the next big you know, merger, merger craze? Or what are you going to do? And how do you maximize that value? Uh, for most of us, um, for most CPAs and financial services um, partners, their biggest asset is their business. And there are ways to do this right, and there's ways to do this wrong. So we're going to learn how to do it right. We're also going to talk about how to do it wrong. I've done it wrong myself um, previously, and uh, I, I think I've finally figured out how to do it right. But we have an expert in this, uh, uh, Donald uh, J. White. Uh, I like to call him Don. Um, I won't, don't worry, I won't call him Donnie or Donald or anything else. Uh, we'll just go with Don White. Uh, Don is an expert in succession planning for financial services firms. Don, welcome to the show. So good to have you with us. Hey, thanks, Tom. I appreciate you having me. So if you would, just give us, uh, you know, 30-second background of, uh, you know, what you've done over your, your life and what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, I started the financial ser uh, services business back in, I know it's going to sound hard to believe, 1979. That was a million years ago for most people. And I was just a 21-year-old guy that was trying to, you know, find his way and, and fortunate enough that uh, over the years we did pretty well. Uh, developed our own company after working for uh, a couple of other firms and uh, 1996. And we grew that to, uh, to five locations throughout the state of Florida. And I, uh, in 2019, sold that practice to my partners and, um, and then went on to, to write a book about succession planning. And the reason I wrote the book about succession planning, which we call Always End with the Beginning in Mind, How Firms Remain Great After the Founder ex Exits, is because I couldn't find any books to help me when I wanted to do this. And so I thought, my goodness, this is crazy. And I just kept taking notes and, and doing things. And then before you know it, it, it said, you know, we've got enough information here. We can maybe do a book. And, and so that's how, we, that's how we did it. I think that's awesome. We, um, at WealthAbility, we talk with our clients all the time about, you know, starting with the end in mind. And uh, the idea that we might want to start our business with the end in mind is such a good idea. Just beginning with the idea, I started, interestingly, I started my first CPA firm about the same time um, you started your first uh, firm. Uh, that was 1995 when I started my first CPA firm. And uh, I, I remember very clearly that I had very specific ideas of what I wanted the CPA firm to look like. And uh, I actually had somebody come up to me just a couple of years after I'd started saying, how did you grow so fast? And I said, well, I never planned on being small. So, you know, <laughs> this idea of starting with the end of mind, but on top of that, I think in the financial services profession, especially what happens is at least in CPA firms, and you tell me if it's different in other financial services firms, Don, um, but in, at least in CPA firms, what happens is there's some part of that sales price when we when we find the exit that is contingent on the next year or the next two years growth. Yep. And yep. so anytime we can exit with a really good plan in mind and a really good succession in mind, we're going to actually exit at a much higher level than we would 
if we don't do that succession planning. So just let's start with that, uh, Don. So what do you see with, uh, typically when you see problems in succession planning, what do you see as the outcome of that? Well, I, I think the first problem is, and you actually touched on it in the open, most people have a cessation plan, Tom, not a succession plan. They're just going to go until they one day don't. And I call that a cessation plan. We, we have these, these plans in, 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 in place, whether we like it or not, by the way. So everyone has a cessation plan. Your cessation plan is either going to be by your um, choice, or it's going to be by someone else's choice, or it's going to be by God's choice. But it's, it's not something that you can play around with. The fact of the matter is, every single one of us is going to have to come to an end. We're all going to ultimately get to a point where we no longer are capable of doing this anymore. Maybe it's because of cognitive issues. Maybe it's because of physical issues. Maybe we just, just don't want to do it anymore. But at the end of the day, we all have to come to the point where we realize that our careers are going to come to a halt. Now, here's the deal. When your career comes to a halt, what does that mean to everybody around you? It, it, means a, it means a great deal. It means a great deal to your clients. It means a great deal to your uh, employees. It means a great deal to you, obviously. But you have to analyze the fact that you are important in people's lives, and therefore you need to help them make that transition so that they can continue to stay well. So, so let me ask you this first question. So why do you think so many firms fail to have a succession plan? Well, I think it's because they simply don't think they need one. At the end of the day, they think, oh, well, this will all work out. Somewhere along the line, it'll all just come to a, you know, to a, to a nice conclusion and so forth and so on. And, and I actually say, and one of the things I say in my book is, is that you can either leave too soon or you can leave too late. But there is no Goldilocks syndrome, meaning there is no perfect temperature. You know, there's no porridge out there that's just at the right time, you know, just right, as they said, you know, in Goldilocks, you know, and, and we get caught up in that, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to find just the right time. The truth is that most people leave too late and we need to be leaving too soon. People say to me all the time, my goodness, Don, you left, you weren't even 65 years old when you sold your practice. What, what were you out of your mind? And, and also, Don, didn't you leave like when your business was doing better than it had ever had done? And the truth is, Yes, yes. And, 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 that, and that would be the best time to leave, right? I mean, you don't want to leave when your business is on a downturn. You want to leave when a business is on the upturn, um, both because that maximizes the value because, you know, in most professional services firm, we're able to actually sell our company to somebody else and, yep. uh, and realize that value. And we'd certainly like it at its peak, not at, at its low. You know, you want to sell high and buy low, not the opposite. And I think that's what a lot of people do. I think that they, like you say, I think they leave too late. They, they run it until they run out of gas. And then the other thing is, is I've actually found that I've left too late a couple of times. Um, I'm, turns out I'm pretty good at building a CPA firm and not as good at running one. And so I have to have that. other people run them. Uh, I'm really good at building them. I'm really good at handling the clients, but I'm not so good at managing the, the, the staff. Um, but what I found is, is that, uh, you know, if I look back over my career, there are several times when I'm going, you know what, had I sold then, I'd, had, had I planned for that and sold then and then started new even. I, I know several uh, CPAs who are good at building firms that 
they've actually sold four, five, six CPA firms over their yeah. careers. And there are some sweet spots as far as the dollar value and how easy it is to exit. And I, I actually find that, you know, if you're up to a million dollars, that's a really easy one to sell. When you get up to that two million to five million, that can be a difficult one to sell because yeah. the big guys may not want you and they're the only ones who can buy you. Um, so let's talk about, you, you, you made a really good point, Don, that, you know, you affect a lot of people around you. You affect your employees, you affect your clients. Um, how do you, how do you, go about setting up a succession plan so that your employees and your clients are successful when you leave? First and foremost, you can't keep it a secret. You got to tell everybody, look, this is what we're thinking about doing. This is the direction that we're going to go and so forth. But most, and this is so important, Tom, you have to put your people, and that means your employees, your vendors, your clients, everybody, before your profit. You got to put people over profit. And it's something I talk about all the time. Most folks think, oh, gosh, I got to worry about exactly how much, what's the multiple I'm going to get? You know, what, what am I going to do in this? That, you know, and that's totally and completely the wrong way to approach it. You need to find a successor that is the right successor for your practice. Everybody's practice is unique. Everybody's practice is different. And if you put the wrong person in there, it's going to be a disaster. I talk about that in the book. There's, there's tremendous examples out there of people that made the wrong succession move because they did not put the right successor in place. They put the wrong successor in place and it was a disaster for everyone. Well, let me share a couple of personal examples if I, if I may, Don. So I've done that both myself. So I acquired a firm that was, I was the wrong, we were the wrong people to acquire that firm. It was a, a, a small firm in a small town and the fees weren't high enough and it really was challenging. We ended up running it for a few years and then selling it off. Whereas we, there was a, a, a different firm that we bought where the fees matched up, the services matched up, everything matched up and we actually saved that business. So actually the clients did better um, considerably better after we took over than they had done with the previous owner. And to me, that was extraordinarily successful, um, a succession plan. Whereas the first one was, a, frankly, it was a, a failure. And we lost, I mean, we lost money on it, on both the acquisition and the sale, but also it just was not a good fit. Yeah. And it wasn't good for the clients. At the end of the day, everybody ends up losing on that. I have a really good friend of mine who has a CPA firm here in our little town of Stewart, Florida, where I live. And he sold his firm, sold it to the wrong group. And here, and he did it just about the same time I sold mine. I sold my, my practice in October of 2019, just before COVID. He sold his in, I think it was July of 2019, just before COVID. That practice today is basically a shambles. This is incredible. Only two years later, that, that his practice is basically in the shambles. Why? Because he sold it to the wrong people in the wrong way. And all he cared about was how much money he was going to get. Our practice, on the other hand, which I think this is the thing I'm probably the most proud of. In 2020, with COVID roaring and all these other things happening and all the issues that were going on and so forth, uh, our business that I left to, to, to my successors grew by 21%. So that, that was a good succession outcome because we had processes in place and we had the right people to do it. 
Okay, so so let's let's talk about those two things. Okay, the first, well, let's start with the people. Although yeah. I actually believe the processes are at least as important as the people. Um, so how do you how do you determine whether somebody's a good fit? Well, first of all, they have to think the same way you do. They have to have a shared vision. If a person does not have a shared vision with you, you might as well just throw it off now. That is number one most important thing above anything else, they have to share your vision because your clients came to you because of your vision. They came to you because of the way you do business. They came to you because of who you are. They came to you because of what you demonstrated. Your successor has to share that vision. If they don't share that vision, then you're gonna have problems. The second thing is, is that you have to make sure that they have the right kind of work ethic. They have to work just as hard, if not harder than you ever did. And then I think thirdly, that goes along with that, is they have to be people that encourage the people that are around them, not discourage them. I cannot believe how many times I've seen people come in and say, oh man, this guy that, that we brought in, he's, he's, you know, he was, he's just such a wrong fit. Everybody hates the guy. Everybody hates what he does. It's just, it doesn't work. And the clients are leaving and the, and the employees are leaving and so forth because he doesn't, he's not a person of encouragement. And, and so those are the three most important things that we're looking for, shared vision, work ethic, and encouragement. I, I like that. So let's talk about the clients. So the clients aren't choosing this, right? That's we're correct. choosing this. And I, I think it's very important that we recognize that the clients aren't choosing this. My, uh, uh, my wife also has a CPA firm and uh, she's, my succession plan is quite different from hers. And uh, she's talking about, you know, her, her clients are starting to ask her, um, she's, you know, we're at that age where clients start worrying about what's going to happen, wh how lo much longer are you going to work? And, and she's so good at what she does with her clients that they say, well, you can, you're going to, you're going to let go of all the other clients, but me, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> which is, which is what they would all like. And, and of course that's not going to be the case. So how do you make that, you know, how do you make it work for the clients? Yeah, I, I, to me, the most important thing that you can do is have a succession plan that does not happen quickly. It has to happen over time. It, uh, first of all, I started telling my clients that we were having a succession plan in 2017. We didn't actually pull the trigger until 2019. And by the way, we probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger then except for certain events. And I talk about this in the book as to why we pulled the trigger in 2019. But I will say this, your clients do vote. You're, you're, and they vote with their feet. They do. And I think probably the thing that I'm most excited about in our, in our little firm is, uh, is how few people did vote with their feet. Most of our clients, in fact, stayed. Now, we did not have 100% of our clients stay with my successor. That is just a reality. A few people left. And they left for very, and for the most part, left for very good reasons. And, and not because of my successor in most cases, it was just simply because it was time for them. There was a, it, was a, it was an opportunity for them to do something else. And most of them were out of town clients that really felt like, gosh, if I'm gonna have to find a new, uh, a new advisor, I might as well just do it now close by. So that, I understand that. But at the end of the day, we met with every single one of our clients with my successor and myself, getting them to understand that we had a shared vision, that he worked just as hard as I did, that he was a person that was encouraging and was going to build people up. The, the thing that was really interesting in our case, I actually have two successors. So, so we had two guys that actually took over our, our practice. 
And it's interesting because you touched on something I think was really interesting. One of those guys was interested in the practice. The other guy was really interested in the business. He loves the business of the business. And the other guy, really, all he wants to do is meet with clients and work with clients. And it was a perfect fit. I didn't realize I actually had two jobs until I found my successors and found that I really needed two successors to take over. So, so when you, uh, let me ask you this, when you found your successor, so were they people already in your practice? Do, were they employees or partners or were they brand new people? So it's interesting. Uh, one was somebody that I actually brought into the business back in 2004 or five. And he was kind of my guy that I had been nurturing along and always with the anticipation that maybe he might be the right person. But I did uh, merge with another firm. So what we did was in 2017, I merged with another firm, which made us a much bigger and much more um, uh, strong firm, uh, frankly. And, uh, and then, so he actually was excited about the actual running of the business side of things and really had no interest in even being with clients. He's never met any of my clients. My, my partner on the business side has never met any of our clients. Well, I mean, maybe one or two, but, but he's not really involved with the clients. The fellow that I brought into the company, his name is Steve. Steve is the fellow that, that has been with every one of our clients and has held their hands and has walked them through and has done everything for them and so forth. And that's, uh, that was the magic of this, of this arrangement. So first we merged with another firm, made us, made us a, a much stronger and much more viable. And by the way, that's where we got a lot of our processes from. So we put those processes in place through the merger and got it really uh, up and humming and beautiful and just running the way we wanted it to run. And then Stephen took over uh, running the actual clients uh, sometime thereafter. Right. So, so there's definitely this combination. I mean, we're in the service business, right? Yes. So there's this combination of, is it going to be somebody that our clients are going to feel comfortable with? Okay. Now I actually like, um, I'm setting mine up, uh, frankly, so that e eventually what will happen is, you know, my partner will take over. We have the succession plan. I mean, this is, and she's young. So um, she'll be in business for many, many years to come. And we have a great staff and we've done this. I mean, this will, I think, be the best succession ever in the history of successions. Um, but I've had good successions. Um, I, the very first firm that I bought um, 24 years ago, um, was a, a sole practitioner and she did an amazing job transitioning the clients. Now, it was a good fit. Like you say, it was a really good fit. But interestingly enough, even though she was a sole practitioner, she had really good processes in place. And mm -hmm. it made, in fact, I always thought that, yes, it was nice to get a book of business, but I loved getting the processes. And I actually used those processes for the next 10 years until we developed, you know, we had, we expanded and we had to develop different processes. Um, but let's talk just for a second about process because, you know, uh, accountants tend to be, I mean, we're very process oriented. Most, most accounts are, we like to follow a pattern. We like to go through that, but having those processes in place, I always say that if you really want to be expand, uh, you can't expand with people. You have to expand with process. And, and the reason being that you have to be consistent from one client to the next and one employee to the next. Can you talk a little bit about when you went to, through that transition with that, that merger, why those processes were so important to your transition? The most important thing that happened in that transition, Tom, was that I became indispensable 
No, 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 I'm sorry. Said that wrong. I became dispensable. <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is that, that you have to be able to walk away and nothing happened. Now, it's really interesting. I know CPAs and financial advisors that cannot take a vacation. Literally, they can't take a vacation because if they take a vacation, they have no income. Their income just stops. It's like, what do you mean? Oh, well, if I'm not here, if I'm not billing, if I'm not, if I'm not, you know, booking hours, then, you know, we don't have any revenue. And that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. So you have to find ways, and we talk about this in the book, you have to find ways to have recurring revenue that does not depend upon you. And one of the major things that we did in our practice is years ago, we, we transitioned our business from a transactional business to a recurring revenue model. And that's when we became a company, I really believe. Prior to that, we were just really just a firm. But we became an enterprise, a true company, when we became a recurring revenue firm, where, where everything really was dependent upon the, the whole entire process that we had in the firm. So when our clients called up, we didn't want them to say, oh, gosh, I got to talk to Don. If I don't talk to Don, then, you know, I can't get my answer. That's insane. Because, but that's what happens in most CPA firms, by the way. And that's what happens in almost every financial planning firm. Oh, I've got my guy. I got my CPA. He's, he's my guy. You know, that's, that's my guy. And that's insane. If you do that, you are building no value. You are building, you're building something, well, that's not really a practice, is it? And it's certainly not one that is sellable. The fact is, we need to build business that people will want to buy. People do not want to buy a business which is dependent upon you being there. Because if you're no longer there, well, then it's really got no value, does it? Well, and that, we see this over and over and over. That's a, that's a good point. I always tell, uh, con I, I've had clients over the years that were contractors, right? They were uh, construction right? In construction, yeah. they were contractors and they were like the face and everything in the firm. And they'd ask me, well, how much can I sell my company for? And I said, zero. Mm -hmm. But your company has no value because you have no process in place so right. that your customers can rely. They don't have to rely on you. They can rely on the process getting done and it's never about you. Um, so for example, I, when I, uh, so this, my current CPA firm, which I've had many over the years, uh, but my current CPA firm, I actually work less than, I actually uh, work less than 500 hours a year in my current CPA firm. Part of that is because I do want the clients to be working with everybody else. I don't That's want right. them saying, well, I need to call Tom to get an answer. Um, and, and in fact, I don't even respond to their questions. I let the staff respond to their questions. That's part of our process. But it seems to me like that process, like you say, when somebody comes in, they want to buy a system that is working. They don't want to buy people. And uh, while it's great to get have good people, you know, I, I you hear all the time, Don, you've probably heard this. Well, you know, my business is great because my people are great. No, your people are great because, because your, your business is great. great. That's right. Yeah. Okay. If your business is great, your people will be better than they were somewhere else. I, I'm always thrilled when I see that my, my staff, they're better with us than they were before. And they're, they're happier, more successful, they contribute more, but they're much better with us than they, they, they were with, um, before. So let's talk about, um, okay, so let's say that you are not 
you don't have somebody internally, which I think is the ideal succession plan, frankly, is that you have somebody that you've groomed for it. But let's say you are selling to an outside firm. Um, how, do you, how do you make that transition successfully, both for the clients and staff and for yourself? Well, I think first and foremost, again, we come back to the basic principle that we, got, we still have to find the right person. So even if it's not a person that's in your firm, you need to make sure that that person has a shared vision, that that person thinks the same way you do, that person works just as hard as you do, that person is going to be around and encourage your clients and, and, and build your clients up the same way you do. If, you, if you're a person that's very hands-on, your clients tend to be those type of clients that want a hands-on person. Right. So if you hire somebody that's very standoffish to take over your, your practice, Man, that's that's destined to fail right off the bat. If you think about it logically, I mean, you know, if you're a very emotional person and he's very choleric or she's very choleric, well, my goodness, what's the point? You know, it's not going to work. And so, no matter how much they're willing to write you a check for, at the end of the day, you're probably not going to have anything that's going to be successful long term, and that's a problem that we need need to address. Thank you. So one of the things I look at when 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 I hear those those terms you're throwing out, I, I think values, um, because I, I think that shared value is what do you value in the firm? How do you value your clients? What do you value from hard work? You know, th those types of values make for really good partnerships. And really when you're selling, that's a partnership because you are working with the buyer to make your clients successful for the future. And when, yeah. And, and what, that's why we always say our, our tagline is better clients, better practice, better life. It's that order, right? You have to have the clients have to be first. They have to be, um, and I love your idea that, wow, we need to let them know ahead of time. Let them know, don't, don't tell them a month before you leave, okay? Tell them three years before you're going to leave that, hey, just so you know, Okay, I'm at that age where I'm not going to be practicing forever. And you need to know that. Now, clients, you know, will frequently ask that question. But e even if they don't, I think it's a great idea to tell them. So if, if we could kind of summarize, what would be three, the, the three top things you would say to a CPA firm or a financial planning firm about what you need to do for a successful succession? Well, first and foremost, you need to be aware that it is a part of your situation. It's going to happen. So you can't ignore it. Do not ignore it. You ignore it at your peril, Tom. So, it, it, and I find that there's an awful lot of folks out there that just think, oh, it'll, you know, we're going to deal with this. It's, it's kind of a down the road kind of thing and so forth. No, no, no. Bring succession to the front burner and start thinking about it all the time. And what can we do to put ourselves in a position? Second of all, find that person, find that right person, be looking for that right person all the time. I have a whole chapter in the book that talks about the fact that we need to find the right successor. And the right successor is out there, but you've got to be able to look for him. You look, this person may be in the back of you at a, you know, at a basketball game. The right successor might just be sitting next to you in a basketball game or, or something. I, you know, I mean, at a concert or something. You just never know where you're going to meet these people. You have no idea. And if you're, if you're always open to the idea that somebody out there may very well be the right person. And then I think most importantly, most importantly, be open 
to change. Be open to the fact that there's that we need to find somebody that's going to do it. And that person is not going to be, he might have this, or he or she might have the same values as you do, might have the same vision that you do, but that doesn't mean they're the same person as you. Totally different uh, situation. And that I think is extremely important that you understand. Be open to finding the right person. No, I, I agree. And I, I would just add, uh, if I could add a fourth, I would add, um, start working through it because there is a loss of identity that a lot of people go through. Um, yeah. One of the firms I sold, I had put so much into it that I, t I felt a huge loss when I made that transition. Now it was a very successful transition. It was still a huge loss. So once we start thinking about it, we plan ahead. One of the things I love is when, uh, like your book says, always end with the beginning in mind, is that we are thinking from day one. Okay, I am going to leave this. I, this is nope. not who I am. This is what funds my lifestyle. This is part of who I am, but it is not who I am. And then, and, and there's going to come a time when it's going to be the right time for me to leave that practice and go on and to, to do other things. So we ought to be planning early on. I love that. DonaldFWhite.com. Uh, Always end with the beginning in mind how firms remain great after the founder exits. Remember, it's always about the clients and the people. And when you end up taking care of your clients, you're always getting up with a better practice, a better end in mind. And then what we always want is a better life. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Don. Thank you, John. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.